Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 133 of Yogaland. Today, I am practicing, I'm putting all of my years of concentration practice and mental training via meditation into this intro, because this is like the fifth time I've done it. I'm doing it in the duration that my daughter brushes her teeth. That's probably too much personal information for many of you out there, but that's just where I am these days. Today, my guest is Ty Powers. I'm so happy to have him on the show. Next week, I will be having Sarah Powers, his spouse, on the show. And you may know that I attended Sarah's 200-hour teacher training many years ago and went to a lot of um, classes and workshops with her after that while they were living in Northern California. Now they're living in the UK. And I have always known Ty as kind of the supporting role to the yoga teacher who is in the foreground and he's kind of in the background. But I also knew that he completed the Spirit Rock Dharma teacher leadership training. So I knew he was a teacher in his own right, but I'd never actually experienced his teaching. And then recently when I decided I had the courage to actually interview Sarah on this podcast. took me two and a half years to be able to interview my teacher. I was just kind of looking around at what they're doing these days. And I noticed that Ty was teaching a changes and transitions in midlife workshop at Tri-Yoga UK. And I thought two things. I thought, oh my gosh, I wish I could go to that workshop. It sounds so perfect. And two, I really want to talk to Ty about it. I'm so happy to see that Ty is teaching. So that was the main focus of this interview, but we talk about so many things. You'll notice that Ty is just an incredibly open and immediate and down-to-earth person. He's also a certified integral coach. He does life coaching. He's currently studying internal family systems psychotherapy. So he's incredibly insightful. I loved connecting with someone on being in the supporting role of a spouse who is a yoga teacher. That was really fun to talk to him about. And I also loved just how open he is. He talks about right in the beginning of the interview, his experience of race in the UK versus the US. And I just think it's a really important conversation to be having right now as much as possible. The last thing I want to say is that I think Ty can be a great inspiration. He is for me anyway, for those of us who are yoga teachers or who are deeply entrenched in yoga as part of our work and applying it in different ways. He's created work that's meaningful to him and helpful to others, all based on yogic and Dharma teachings. So what could be better than that? If you enjoy the podcast, please don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or and or share it on social media. Share it with your friends and family. Share it with your, I don't know, long lost bestie from high school. Okay. Enjoy the interview. So what brought you to New York? Are you working or hanging out? What are you doing in New York? Twofold. We talked about retreat in upstate. Uh, we just finished on Sunday, a week-long silent retreat. Sarah and I did that. And then our daughter been at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. She's been in school in London for three years and she just graduated. And so now she's moved back to New York as of last week, pounding the pavement now. She's a professional now. So oh my gosh. here we go. Well, congratulations yeah. to Imani Jade and to you guys. It's funny. One of the, the very first questions I wanted to ask you, my husband just left today for actually for Heathrow. He's doing a stint in, in Europe. I said, I'm going to talk to Ty Powers today. I'm going to ask him 
if they move to London to be near Imani Jade because Jason and I also have an only child who's a girl. And you guys are like our role models because I know I know you've kind of moved around with her, which is amazing. The first couple of years, she was there with a roommate by herself. And the third year of RADA is what it's called, RADA for short. They invite the industry to see their performances. And so we, industry meaning also, the families can now come and see what's been going on the last two years. Mm-hmm. And so we really wanted to be for that. So we rented our house, placed ourselves there. And as it turned out, it made more sense as we were looking for apartments. We found the perfect apartment, but it had an extra bedroom we didn't need. So she moved in with us. So literally the last year we've had her with us, you know, at 25 years old. It's just one of the most extraordinary years, as I'm sure you can sort of imagine. I'm so, that makes me so happy to hear. That's really sweet. That's really sweet. This particular program is very, very deep, which is why British actors tend to be the best in the world. Mm -hmm. It's very psychological, deeply psychological. They really turn you inside out because they really want your acting to be not acting, but being. Wow. And so it's really nice to be there with her being turned inside out. So it was an opportunity to be a support system, not not in terms of advice or anything like that, but just Just at her age, 25. Mm just to be there and, mm-hmm. and also just to see her go through that, that deep internal struggle that, you know, I guess we all must go through if we're really going to find who we are. So that was fun. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing because I think it was at least 15, 16 years ago that I did the 200 hour training with Sarah in Marin and Imani Jade was a little girl and she, I feel like she knew then that she wanted to do performance that she was interested in theater even then. She did. She actually told us at four. And the funny part of the story is we moved away from L.A. when she was three months old. We moved to Santa Fe. And we did that, among other reasons, so that she wouldn't have this knee-jerk desire to be an actress. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least you know that it's not just because of her surroundings. Yeah. Right, right. No, it's 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 a it's a real calling for her. So wow. Well, so how much longer do you think you guys will be in London if she's going to be in New York? Not sure. We took out a two year lease just because that was efficacious for mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. and so the uh, the year was up this month. So we actually had that conversation recently. So now that she's not there, do we need to be there? Mm-hmm. And the answer is a, resound- a resounding yes. That's good. Loving, loving, loving. Europe in general, London in particular, especially with what's going on in this country right now. Mm-hmm. One thing just to say quickly, um, being African-American is uh, a bundle of things, hmm. especially growing up as I did 50s and six, in the 50s and 60s. And one of the things that I so appreciate about being in Europe is this sense of respect for my humanness and my Africanness, so to speak, doesn't enter the equation. I mean, certainly there's stuff going on with Brexit and all that, but in terms of the day-to-day walking around and driving all over as we have, the UK, small towns and, and such, I have never once felt the way I have felt far too often in the States in oh, terms wow. of my skin. Wow. Oh. I mean... Well, so let me, okay, so let me just add a little piece to that before mm-hmm. you say, hold on to that thought. 
because um, Imani had three other young girls in her program that were all uh, mixed race girls. And so I invited them over for a dinner just before this before them and Sarah and I just to ask them questions about how they felt about any of that. You know, white dad, black mom, um, opposite, so on. And when it came around to Imani, she started crying. And she told me that her whole body goes into, has gone into shock many times when she's walked into stores with me or behind me and has seen, not all the time, clearly, but has seen over the years um, the treatment that I've gotten. And I had no idea, no idea she was holding that in her own body, that pain of seeing how daddy's treated. And so, yeah, there's just another little piece of the legacy of all that that is ugly hit and in the states and you and sarah have lived in pretty large metropolitan areas too i mean have you noticed this both in cities and not in cities or is it i mean is there yeah yes the answer is yes it's it's really noticeable was in san diego for a long time Hmm. it's noticeable in parts of la was noticeable in Orange County, noticeable uh, parts of San Fernando Valley, you know, noticeable in places, noticeable in places. Yeah. So, yeah. Certain places were obviously more progressive in, in terms of that kind of thinking. And anyway, I didn't want to make this conversation about that, but it just, oh, no, it's it so interesting. Air- and it's a very important conversation. I mean, it's obviously we're in this time where, like, I, I feel like in our country, racism is very, very overt. It's more overt than it has been in my entire lifetime. Like I'm, you know, I was born in the seventies. So I feel like just the way that I was raised and like the values of our country at that time were very much more open than they are now actually. But it's just interesting to hear from your perspective, like, even though it's more overt now, it's been there because I'm white. So I don't know. I haven't experienced what you've experienced, you know, but for you, it sounds like it's been there all along. Well, it's interesting because you know, traveling around as we do and going back to the same places over and over again. And there's a kind of theme always running with you know, what's going on with that country or what's going on with, with America when I return to these various countries. And as the election was looming, people kept asking me, so what's going on in, in America there? And I, I kept trying to answer the question in, in some sort of rational fashion. And there is some rationale to this, of course, but that's a whole other story. But I finally just said to someone, you know what? You're actually seeing the country that I feel. Mm. That's really the only difference. Oh, that's so, such a downer. <laughs> so, so sad to hear that. I'm so sorry. It is. A, it's a, a, definite, a definite sadness. Yeah. From my life. But, but there it is. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. There it is. And in a way, I mean, so, okay, if that's the truth, which I hear from many people, not just you, then maybe it's, ugh, maybe the fact that it's really overt here right now will be an actual turning point, right? Like, that's certainly what we're all hoping, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That this was a wake-up call. I certainly thought, you probably did too, our, our own bubbles, our San Francisco, LA, New York, Denver bubbles, whatever, mm-hmm. that progressive 
values were on the upswing, and not only on the upswing, were had a momentum that it wasn't going to go back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was my for this election. Yeah, and so that was a, a grand wake up call, and I, and so in some sense, I do have hope mm-hmm. that the wake up call will realign. Well, we'll see in this next election if mm-hmm. indeed this is not what the country wants in large measure. Yes, as long as the. Yes, as long as people are actually able to vote. <laughs> you know what I mean? As long as the voter suppression yeah. isn't yeah, yeah, in right. full force. That's what's like so challenging. It's just there's so many layers right now. Well, let's talk about yoga a little bit. Yoga and dharma sure. and all those things. Where do you want to start? It's funny. I would like to start with your yoga origin story because I have known you for a long time, but I know more of the specifics of Sarah's story. And, you know, how she got started in yoga. I know how you guys met. I know <laughs> all of that stuff. But I don't know how you started doing yoga. And I also know that you are a Dharma teacher, too. So I don't know how those two are related for you. Or, yeah, I would just love to hear your background. So I came to some notion of contemplative practice pretty early on. And I think when I say early on, it's interesting that we started out with race I think the the great questions really were thrown in my face early on, given how I felt uh, around racism at an early age. So it just, you know, it begged the question, what is all of this? Who am I and what is this? And where did you grow up, Ty? Did you grow up in L.A.? East L.A. East L.A. Okay. Those questions were really firing early on. And so it it forced me to do a lot of reading, not necessarily um, reading around the origins of race relations, but readings around the origins of, of who we are, who and what we are, are spirit-wise. So that was the beginning of my journey in, in a spiritual direction, those questions. My grandfather was part of a church called the Church of Religious Science. It was a very innovative church in Los Angeles that really wasn't just about God and the Bible. It really brought in a lot of metaphysics. And so that was another kind of landing point for me. Hmm. And then when Sarah and I met... Um, I introduced her to some of these themes, and she was in uh, UCLA at the time, English literature. And of course, all the great writers throughout time were asking these perennial questions and, and you know, writing about it in, in novel form and so on. So she was coming at it from that angle. So we really connected strongly on this issue of you know, why are we here? What is this about? And so I kind of turned her on to some of the metaphysical writings, and then shortly after that, she went to, as you probably know, ITP, mm-hmm. Institute of Transitional Psychology, and they asked her in that program to take on a physical discipline that was spiritual. And that's where she decided, okay, let me look around. Oh, yoga. This mm-hmm. sounds like the perfect fit. And so she, she dove into that and then took me with her. I mean, I was her first student. So that's the perfect. origin of my Yeah, yoga. that's perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, she turned that around. And then as, as we know, she ran with that mm-hmm. and, and actually dropped out of ITP to pursue the yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. And then in the span of time that I was studying with Sarah, I don't know this for sure, so it's a question, but it seemed like Sarah mm-hmm. was doing the active yoga teaching and you were doing kind of like the behind the scenes managing and also, were you also doing the homeschooling of Imani Jade? 
Both. Both. Absolutely. In fact, I was doing everything, not everything on the homeschool front, but definitely everything on the management front. It was a trying time in my life for that reason, because yeah. there was so much to do, ramping up. I remember <laughs> the first yoga journal conference that she was invited to in Estes Park. We came home after that weekend, and the number of emails and phone calls were overwhelming huh. from invitations for Sarah to come visit this or that studio, country, the whole thing. And, and at that moment, when all of that was clear to us, it was in that week, she said, honey, you got to stop what, you, what you're doing and just, we got to do this together. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the genesis right there. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. There's no way you yeah. can do this alone. Well, I can relate because that's where I am these days. <laughs> Is that where you are? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Jason has managed so much of his business on his own for so long that some of it is really dialed in. And um, he also does have an assistant who helps with like bookings and things like that. But just in terms of overall like content direction and marketing, and now there's so much more marketing that has to be done, you know, because of all the digital mm-hmm. avenues and, and then, uh, yeah, just pushing things forward and keeping him somewhat sane and and keeping the family running. That's me too. So. Oof, oof, what heart goes out to you? Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that because you are such a like calm, collected person, you know, during that time, I never would have known that you had any, any challenges, but now that I do it, it is really challenging. It's really challenging. So on every birthday and Sarah just had a birthday day before yesterday, by the way. Oh, wow. Happy birthday, Sarah. Uh, on every birthday. We ask ourselves, you know, so how was the last year? How are you doing? You know, just kind of a mm-hmm. deeper than normal question. And this would be about nine or 10 years ago. She asked me on my birthday, how are you doing? We were up um, at Finhorn. And I said, you know what? I really want your life. <laughs> and what I meant by that was not that I wanted to teach yoga and be out there and do all that. I just meant I dubbed her life. This it's kind of a, a little funny thing I said between us, the fluff life. Hmm. It's not a fluff life. I mean, she, she works hard and practices hard and so on and so forth. But in terms of the details of our life, she yeah. didn't have to look at any of that. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what I was envious of because I felt like it was never ending and overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so it really, uh, that conversation started an argument. Hmm. She said, well, you clearly need help. And I said, yes, of course I do. She said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call someone to help you. And I said, you know, I I like the idea, but I'm on overwhelm right now. So the idea of training someone to do all the things I do feels even more overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was kind of locked down in that that place of of no movement. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, she, she forced it upon me. She called a student of ours who's still my personal assistant. And said, can you help tie up? Hmm. And he said, let me see what I can do. That's good. And now she has a personal assistant. Yeah. And, and we have people that are assistants in different places in the world for specific events. So I'm having far more of a fluff life than I ever imagined. As good. A result of it. <laughs> good. You deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I came to this role after, you know, 10 or 11 or however many years I spent at Yoga Journal so I was immediately like, 
I'm not doing your bookings. I'm not doing your flights. I'm not, you know, so, so I guess I'm fortunate in that way. And also I sort of, I pushed the podcast forward because I knew, I knew I needed a creative outlet and I knew that it was doable with him traveling so much. Like I actually would have gone back to work. I would have gone back to an office. Like I loved having a very, very steady schedule. I loved being scheduled and like having things very set and clear and, and, but just with him traveling so much, it was too disruptive with having a child to, it was too disruptive to her. I I needed to be here more for her and she needed more grounding. So, so I kind of pushed this podcast project forward. And I think he was a little bit like, okay, I'm going to let her do her little vanity project. And it's ended up being really successful for both of us. So it's, it's turned out well in that way. Yeah. That's really great. What's her name? Your daughter? Sophia Rose. Sophia Rose. Sophia Rose. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. How old is she? She's six. She's six. Oh my God. Precious. I know. She's say. Oh my gosh. They all are. I know. But, oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. It's unbelievable. We're definitely like, oh gosh, we don't want her to get older. I mean, that sounds so terrible. Of course we want her to get older, but, but it is really so precious. We said the same thing for each A. Yeah. Each like st- freeze freeze yeah i know i know i know you're teaching. I was so excited to see that you're teaching or you have taught this changes and transitions in midlife workshop. I I said to Sarah, when I emailed her, I wish I could have been there for it because I'm right there. But when did you start teaching actively again? So this is something that came up just recently. So I've been teaching. So a couple of things back up a little bit. I've been teaching, of course, retreats together Mm -hmm. for over 10 years, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think that's about right. And then I've also been studying something called internal family systems therapy. So for the lay person, they have three levels. I've gone through two of the three levels. So I've been working with people one-on-one in terms of that. Oh, neat. And I've been working one-on-one in terms of the Dharma training I had at Spirit Rock. And then I took a professional training, coaching training. There's a a really wonderful school in the Bay Area there called New Ventures West. It's highly, highly rated school. In fact, it's so highly rated. In my class, I had so many high up Google types, Amazon types. I had the, get this, I, I had the chief of staff of NASA in that 12 person class. Wow. Wow. That was the hardest thing I've ever done, this certification that I got for that. Wow. And then I had just finished that certification. This is maybe two, three years ago now, when Philip tapped me because Philip actually invited all the people to do this program of his called Changes and Transitions. Philip so we're Moffitt. calling ourselves, Philip Moffat. we're calling ourselves Changes and Transitions Strategist. And it's a, it was a year and a half program that he put together, which is based on essentially the work he's been doing himself, that he's come to on top of his Dharma leadership and training. It comes out of, you know, all the way back to working with people at Esquire, 
comes to the work he's been doing in, at India with his guru. Hmm. And just the one-on-one work, coaching work, how does that how does that work? How does that open up a human being and how is that different from therapy? Neat. Neat. So I just I graduated from that and in the graduation he, you know, gave his blessings for us to go out there and teach these workshops based on certain decades of life and what one can expect in order to navigate and perhaps even invite a change or rather a transition because a change change happens right transition doesn't necessarily happen and that's the big thing that the workshops there's a few big things in it that it's designed to point you towards somehow people think that in getting older that we get wiser we know this is not true <laughs> you gotta work at it you have to work at it it's so true <laughs> if only you know, we, it just we, magically happened only, right if only, i mean we see our parents and you know people we've known all our lives and and we see them not get better or not cope well mm. or, or cope specifically in a in a way that they've always coped which hasn't really been coping mm-hmm. or barely such so it's based on a lot of psychology and and social science this work that's brought to bear on what those changes and transitions may look like in your 20s 30s and so on mm. and in knowing what they look like you can kind of measure yourself you can compare yourself to where you might want to go back and, and bring yourself up hmm. to the present moment. So thus far, Philip, Philip is still himself teaching these workshops, and he has now mandated 12 of us to do so. And we're, we're starting to get out there and do that. I've done two already, one in Amsterdam, one in London. And they've been really uh, well received. And I'm doing another one in London in the spring, and probably we'll schedule another one sometime down then. So... Also, what it's designed to put you in touch with is what you actually value, Mm -hmm. because very often we are at the mercy of values that we've adopted unwittingly from a bunch of things, right? Our conditioning, our our societies, our time in history, our gender, our race, our age, our education, our parents' educations, so on and so forth. And some of the values that we have adopted work well for us, and some are unexamined mm-hmm. and may actually be in conflict with moving forward in our spiritual lives. So the workshop is also designed, there's lots of things that we do in the workshop that are designed to put you in touch with how you may be sitting on some outmoded values mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or unexamined ones. How long is the workshop? How, what's the format? It's, um, it can be done in six weeks, two hours. Uh, a weekend, weekend evening, or over a, a weekend, like a weekend workshop, you know, Friday night for a couple of hours, Saturday, all day, half day, Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the format I've done it in. For the ones that you've done so far, why did you choose midlife? So interesting. Normally the ones that Philip had always done was uh, for your thirties and forties as a, as a block or your 50s and 60s as a block. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, you know, why that was. And of course, it's because, especially during the older years, there's some life is pressing in on you. You have some wisdom, you have some experience, you have some notion of where you've been, and you, you have some notion of the clock tipping. Mm. And so there's mm. a poignancy to asking those, those questions. And, and, in the latter years, there's 
definitely a difference in, in one's energy, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And not only energy, there's, there's a difference in how the world itself thinks of you or approaches you. Oh, so, so even true. if you're just in your 50s and 60s for a certain position in a certain company, you're looked at differently. So you need to actually reevaluate what your goals and strategies are for, say, getting a new job. You know, if you're 50 as opposed to 30. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I chose to put 40s and 50s together just to see how that would work. And it worked perfectly fine because in your 40s, you really are already asking those deeper questions, especially now, I think, in history. Mm-hmm. Things are moving much faster. We have a relationship with information like never before. There's a speed that's going on that's driving us a little bit batty. And so all of these things, Things are coming to bear on asking the, the bigger questions earlier, I think, than before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Retirement's a whole idea. So anyway, um, I did 40s and 50s both times, and that worked really well. 50s and 60s worked just as well. And actually, the next one I'm doing, I just switched over to opening it to no age requirement. Hmm. So I have a lot of different ages together because one of my colleagues did that. And he said he just, just loved it. You had 20-year-olds with the wisdom of the 60-year-olds or even higher in the class, and the 60-year-olds with the enthusiasm <laughs> and 20-year-olds, and we thought that was working really well. So, That's neat. Yeah. I like the idea of 40s and 50s because, as you said, I mean, I think when I'm in my 40s, so my mom is in her early 70s, and that's a really big transition point too, I think, for people. Yeah. It's huge. And so I look at her and I want to be able to help her. And then I also sort of anticipate like, well, okay, well, what will I be like in my seventies? And, and so, yeah, it feels really valuable to think about those things now. And then also for women, and I'm sure I'm actually, I don't know enough about men's health to know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was similar for men, but for women, there's a lot of like hormonal shifts that just start happening in your forties. So as you said, you become aware of physical changes, like for me, almost for the first time. I mean, I went through my 30s and felt like I was still kind of in my 20s. It just didn't really feel, it was consolidating. I mean, I I knew that there was a lot of growth, but physically I didn't feel like I was aging really. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is real. Like this shit is real. It's not, it's it's when people, you know, it's not just people complaining that things are changing. It really happens. And how do you, like, how do you make sense of the changes? I I, I think the other thing is until this point, many of the changes that happen or that you make are kind of of your own doing. Whereas when you really start to notice aging in yourself, it's not something that you necessarily would choose, right? Like my knees hurt more than they ever used to hurt before. I have to really think about them. And that's not something, that's not like, that's not a self-improvement project. That's like a deterioration happening. So no, clearly I don't know of anyone who would invite physical aging. Mm. Certainly the wisdom, that comes with experience and the recognition or acknowledging what you've experienced, you know, putting it in, in some usable form. Of course, we all want that. But in terms of, you know, sickness, old age, and death, as the Buddha said, um, they're humiliating. Mm. <laughs> and 
So what knowing the prescribed changes that are, are coming for us can do is to help us prepare in a way that we're not resentful of the changing seasons, that we're, we're going to start to learn how to roll with that or actually invite what's, what can be appreciated about the transition rather than fight it, mm-hmm. which is not to say, you know, we don't, don't want to perhaps work a little harder physically. I know for myself, um, I always loved my body and how it looked and muscles and, and so on and so forth and definition. And, you know, what used to happen for me in a half hour doesn't take a half hour anymore. It, 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 it takes uh, 25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it, it, it just, it's not happening. And so I went through a period of some resentment for that and, you know, kind of looking in the mirror and seeing things look differently and not necessarily liking those differences and, you know, so on and so forth, the vanity of that. Mm-hmm. And then coming to terms with, with all of those things is, is a really important reckoning. reckoning. Mm-hmm. And so we all know that, but it's nice to have, say, a course where, you, you know, you're, it's, that's in your face for all of you. You're in it together. You're t- talking about these themes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I actually sort of marvel sometimes at the the lack of instituted like institutional emotional intelligence learning we all get as humans. It's just crazy, isn't it? It's like there's there's so much knowledge and wisdom out there. And yet, you know, there you are, 23, just like, boom, go make something of yourself in the world. And I would have just loved to have some transition training in my 20s. I feel like mm-hmm. by my early 30s, I kind of had certain things down, and but it was a really, really hard road, really hard. It could be much easier if there were clear signposts. Apparently, as I said, you know, once I learned this, there are there's a lot of uh, good social science out there that that tracks this mm-hmm. and, and knows decisions we should be making, mm-hmm. and knows where, as a country, we're not making them so well. Mm. Yeah. Does the training involve any physical practice or is it mostly wisdom based and like intellectual? It's mostly wisdom based. Yeah. It's not at all. Uh, physical practice, we ask you, yeah, you got to go out and do that for yourself. But in terms of the actual workshop, no. Right. There's only sitting practice in the workshop. And I had them do a little movement practice and just get up and, you know, a little bit of Tai Chi ish movement. But that's it, just to make sure we're staying in the room. Right. Keeping things move. Yeah. Keeping things circulating. What is your practice like these days, Ty? So I do a pretty full on aerobic practice. Literally, I've gone back to things like deep knee bends, jumping jacks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yoga wise, you know, I'm always moving my spine in, in the six directions and variations on the six. And that's really it. I, I sprint. So I do high aerobic and high impact. Mm-hmm. So I'll sprint and then stop for a few minutes and then sprint again and stop for a few more. And again, the, the jumping jacks are, you know, high aerobic. Mm-hmm. And I'll, things that are, I'll do, dog, I'll do things that are like push-ups, you know, in the more yogic way. Mm-hmm. Although I have some rotator cuff stuff on both shoulders, so I have to do it in a way that an iron guard person wouldn't like the way I was doing it but it works fine for me now. Mm-hmm. So like that, I spend probably 45 minutes a day at most in a physical practice. And then, uh, you know, sitting for 
at least 24 minutes a day mm-hmm. and often, often more than that. You have a little YouTube video where you talked about the, the workshop. And I like one of the things you said at the end was the guiding theme for the weekend is that the first half of life, I think you said this was a young quote, which I'm probably misquoting, but first half of life devoted to building and maintaining a healthy ego. And then the second half is going inward and letting go of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? Can you unpack that a little bit, what that means? I think think this is the case. Um, I, I remember reading this many, many years ago that in order to be admitted to his institute in Zurich, you had to have established yourself in your life in some way already. So, and his reason for that, as I recall, is this idea that you need to have some solid sense of who you all are, hmm. even if that solid sense is false, before you start tinkering with that. Hmm. And the solid sense arises out of a confidence in what one does, hmm. who one is and what one does. And so until you're, you have some a kind of confidence and sensibility around oneself, it can be a little bit dangerous to open the, the spiritual Pandora's box. Hmm. We all know in our communities, um, Buddhist and more specifically yogic, I found, there are people who come to it very wounded. And so the way they orient themselves or orientate themselves in it is uh, a kind of working around that wound. And so it never really gets into the wound, into the healing of the wound. And so you see people hide out in yoga, uh, real personal growth. You see them hide out in, in meditation and so on. And so it's kind of speaking to that. Hmm. The, just that concept of, of wanting people to establish themselves first before doing that work just reminds me of a few people I've known who have, you know, in their thirties gone to Thailand, become monks and the head monks after a few months say, go home, it's time to go home, you know, and create a life for yourself, which I think is very surprising for them, right? It's like, well, wait, I'm devoting myself to spiritual practice, but somehow the older monks can see like that they're hiding out from something and it's time to go be in the world and then figure things out, I guess. It's just my interpretation. Well, after the ecstasy of the laundry, that, that story that Jack Cornfield tells of coming home after being a monk for 10 years, you know, really achieving some wonderful states of being and coming home and being back in family at home and within a short amount of time being triggered in a way that completely Un- undid yeah. this seeming <laughs> <laughs> transformation. So, yes, there needs to be the ascending journey and the descending journey. And the descending journey is it is established in in the here and now in this life. You know, butting up against New York City and family and children and and so on. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ty. It's just been such a pleasure talking to you and connecting with you. And and I just, I wish you all the best. And I can't wait to talk to Sarah. I think I talked to Sarah in about a, about a month from now. Yeah, it's next month. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks as always for listening. I'll put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash 
episode 133. Enjoy this week and enjoy your practice. <laughs>